Well, in our message series, Basic Training, we're talking about the essentials of the Christian life. We're talking about some key disciplines that we need to practice in order to grow spiritually. Now, the desire to grow spiritually, the desire to grow in our relationship with God is present in every believer. I mean, if you don't have a desire to grow spiritually, then there's something seriously amiss with your spiritual walk. Jesus said in Matthew 5.16, I'd encourage you to take out a white sheet in the middle of your bulletins. It looks like this. It has the outline and the verses written out. You can take some notes there, and on the back are some study questions that uh, at least the Sunday night group will be going over, and uh, maybe the Thursday night group as well, or the other Sunday night. I'm not sure, but uh, we are going over those tonight. You can use them in your own study as well. Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. To hunger and thirst for righteousness is to desire, to strongly desire, to grow spiritually, to grow in your relationship with God, to grow closer to God. And so the disciplines that we're talking about in this series are things that every believer should be practicing in and growing in. And Jesus promises us that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who hunger and thirst to grow closer to God, they are going to be blessed. They are going to be filled. Their prayers are going to be answered. And so today we're going to talk about another spiritual discipline, the discipline of worship. We're going to be talking about worshiping God. Now what does it mean to worship? Now it's a word we use a lot, but how would you define worship? Well, the Greek word for worship literally means to bow down to kiss somebody's feet. Bow down to kiss somebody's feet. And we read the Bible, when people worship, we, we see them falling down. We see them bowing down, expressing with their body language what their heart is really doing. Displaying their devotion, displaying their submission. When we worship God, we display that to God himself. And so worship involves giving one's entire self to God. Giving one's entire self uh, in submission to the will of God in our lives. Worship is so much more than just simply singing songs. Obviously, we can worship God as we sing, but worship is much more, and we're going to talk about th that today. Jesus said in John 4, 23, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship God in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, if there are true worshipers, what does that imply? There are false worshipers as well. People who have fooled themselves into thinking they're worshiping when they're really not. True worshipers, Jesus says, worship in spirit and in truth. God is seeking that kind of worshiper. Because he wants to bless them. He desires those kind of worshipers. To worship in spirit is to worship through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. We worship in spirit through the Holy Spirit. To worship in truth is to worship according to the truth of God's word. Not something that we've conjured up or made up, but according to the truth that's revealed to us in the word of God. 
we need to worship in spirit and in truth. The Bible teaches us that everyone, whether they're a believer or not, worships something or someone. You look at another human being on this earth, and they are a worshiper because God created us to worship. And everybody worships something or someone, but not everyone worships God. Only believers worship God. And whatever you worship, and this is a key truth, you become like. Whatever you worship, you become like. Psalm 135 says, The idols of the nations are silver and gold made by the hands of men. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. And so in the negative sense, when people worship an idol, and you know we have many idols in America today. They're not little graven images or statues that people place on their shelves, although I'm sure we have some of those. But there are many idols in America today. Money, prestige, power, pleasure. The list could go on and on. Things that people worship. They bow down. They seek to serve those things, to have those things. And when you do that, you become more and more like those things. You become captured by the things that you worship. Now, in the positive sense, when we worship God, we become more and more like Him. When we worship Jesus, and of course Jesus is God, we become more and more like Jesus. And that's what we as believers hunger and thirst to be. That's what God commands us to be, to become more and more like Him as we worship Jesus Christ. And so worship isn't just a nice thing that it's okay if you do, it's okay if you don't. Worship is an essential discipline, essential thing that God commands us to do in the Christian life to help us to grow spiritually. It's part of our basic training now today we're going to be looking at the book of Revelation to learn more about worship. The book of Revelation was written in a time of severe persecution of the church. And so the vision that God revealed to the Apostle John was given at that time, 2,000 years ago, to encourage the church of his time, this church that was under severe persecution. Revelation was given so that the church would realize even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of people being martyred, that God still reigned. That God was still on the throne. That even if people lost their lives in the cause of Christ, all was not over. They would simply be translated into heaven, into an eternity of worship with their Savior and their Lord. And so Jesus reigns. Jesus reigns today. There are more martyrs being created today than ever before in the history of the world. Some people figure every five minutes somebody is martyred for their Christian faith today across the world. Jesus still reigns even when times are difficult. And so the book of Revelation was written to tell us that Jesus still reigns. It was written to tell us that the end of the world is a good thing. It is coming. Jesus is coming again, but it's a wonderful thing, something we look forward to as believers. And Revelation was written to give us a glimpse of heaven, to show us how we can join in the heavenly worship, even while we're here on earth, and one day we will join in in spirit as well. So let's see how God's Word reveals heaven to us. 
We're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 4 and 5. Verse 1 of Revelation 4. After this I, that's John is speaking here, he's writing, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And so God's word reveals to us everything that we need to know about heaven. Heaven is a wonderful place. And heaven is far more than even what God's word reveals to us. It's infinite. It's, it's incomprehensible. The Bible tells us that we cannot imagine the things that God has planned for us in eternity. It's so wonderful. The revelation of heaven that we're going to look at today was what John saw in, this, in his vision that God gave him. It was what was going on in heaven in John's day, and it's still going on in our day. Heaven is still there, and what, we, what John saw are the things that are going on right now. And so, in Revelation 4 and 5, we're going to get a glimpse of what worship in heaven is all about. God, in heaven, God the Father rules on the throne. Verse 2, John writes, At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, a rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. And so the first thing that John saw in heaven, the main thing that there was in heaven was this throne with the Lord God seated upon it. God was surrounded or is surrounded in unapproachable light. But you know, it's not just a bright white light, it's lights of many colors. Wonderful lights surround him. And John, in effect, is seeing the heavenly temple. And God seated upon the throne. That temple was a pattern from which the earthly temple was built in the Old Testament. And the heavenly temple is a pattern upon which the church, God's dwelling place in our time, must be built. The throne represents God's rule, His authority over all heaven and all earth. God is in control. He's seated upon the throne. God's people rule with Him as well. Verse 4, surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. And these 24 elders represent the people of God of all time, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Believers, they are ruling and reigning with Christ. They're dressed in white. It represents their sins being forgiven and them being dressed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. They had golden crowns upon their heads. Now, the Greek word for crowns, it literally refers to the wreaths that were given to the winners of athletic contests. And the gold refers to their value and permanence. And they wear them because they were overcomers. If you read the first part of Revelation, people who overcome will be given these crowns because they persevered in their faith and they become winners in the race of life. What else do we see? We see God's power is awesome. Verse 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 5. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, 
peals of thunder before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. And also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. You know, heaven is not a quiet place. We think of heaven as a very quiet place. It's a peaceful place, but it's not quiet. The first voice sounded like a trumpet. Trumpet's pretty loud. This throne is emitting flashes of lightning and thunderclaps are coming from it, signifying the power of God. And we're going to see the worship in a few minutes. In front of the throne, on the throne we have God the Father. In front of the throne we see the second member of the Trinity mentioned in this passage. The Holy Spirit is represented by these seven blazing lamps. Seven is the number of perfection. And from the throne we see later in Revelation flows the river of life here seen as a sea of glass with, with nothing disturbing its surface. Heaven is a place of perfect peace, perfect calm. There are no enemies in heaven. There is no sin. It's a per place of perfect peace. There is no turmoil. There is no stress. There is no worry. Perfect peace. And why is it important that we have a vision of what heaven is like? Why does God's word reveal what it does about heaven to us? Well, first of all, Jesus taught us to pray. In the Lord's Prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as we learn how God's will is done in heaven, we can pray for that will to be done on earth. We can pray that God would help us to bring heaven to earth. That's why we're here. The Bible in Ephesians 2.6 actually teaches us that believers are now seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. And so in a spiritual sense, we are seated up there on those thrones. And we are to live our lives on earth in light of heaven and eternity. We are to live our lives on earth in light of heaven and eternity. Too often we just find ourselves looking at the dust of the earth looking at all the problems, all the things around us. And preachers don't talk about heaven much. We should talk about it more. Because we ought to live our lives here on this earth in light of heaven. First for ourselves, that we would live our lives in keeping with an eternal point of view. And secondly, that we would seek to bring as many people with us to heaven and spend eternity there. Now recently, there have been a, simply a flurry of books and movies on various people's near-death experiences and different visions of heaven. I would say that these accounts should never be relied on to give us new information about heaven or new information about God. They are not God's Word. Uh, they are not infallible. Uh, they are not to be relied on. Some accounts have turned out to be fabricated, completely made up. Others have descriptions contrary to the Bible, what heaven is like. None have the authority of God's Word. So we ought to treat them very, very carefully. God's Word gives us all the revelation that we need about heaven. And the desire to have other information about the things of God 
about supernatural things outside of the Bible is what leads people into various kinds of heresy and things that actually contradict the Word of God. And so, God's Word reveals heaven to us. And the main feature we see is God upon the throne. Next, we see that worship permeates heaven. And everybody always wonders, what am I going to do in heaven? It's going to be really boring just to float on clouds and play harps and that kind of thing. And you see these little pictures. But these chapters in Revelation answer that question. The principal activity in heaven is, is worship. Worship of God. Cherubim worship God as holy. Verse 6, in the center around the throne... John first saw the throne and now he looks around the throne were four living creatures. They were covered with eyes in front and back. There's more description there. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. These four living creatures are what the Bible calls cherubim. They're first described by the prophets Isaiah and Ezekiel in the Old Testament. They had visions of heaven as well. They're incredibly powerful, supernatural, angelic beings. They surround the throne. And what do they do? They worship. They worship God as being holy. What does that mean? Well, God, God's holiness means that he's one of a kind. There's no one like him. He's totally other than all of his creation. He is the creator. We are the created. He's perfect in every way. He's without any trace of evil. He's without any sin. He's without any blemish. Everything he does is good and right and just and loving. He is holy. No one can blame him with anything. God is the only being that has always existed and will always exist. God was. He is now, and He is to come. He is eternal. He exists outside the bounds of our time. Not only do the cherubim worship God as holy, the elders worship God as creator. Verse 10, the 24 elders fall down before Him. What are they doing? They're worshiping. Before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever. And ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. And so the elders fall down and worship. As we said before, their crowns represent them being overcomers in life, of persevering in their faith to the very end. And these crowns or victory wreaths of gold are laid before the throne of God in worship. All their accomplishments in life, all that they have is laid down before God. They worship God. The elders worship God as the creator. The creator of everything that exists. And not only did God create everything, it says, by your will they were created and have their being. Not only did God create everything, he directly holds all creation together by His will and word. Let me say that again. God directly holds all things together by His will and word. 
the notion that we all have, we're all taught that there's all these laws of science and things just run by themselves is not biblical at all. God holds everything together. He holds the very atoms in your body together by His Word and will. Without His holding it together, things would just obliterate. He holds the breath of every living being on this earth in the palm of His hand. When He takes the breath away, the creature dies. God holds everything together by the power of His will. And the elders worship Him both for being Creator and for the sustainer and upholding of the entire universe and everything that He created. Nothing exists that God did not create and presently sustains. Worship in heaven. So how can we join in this heavenly worship? Well, God desires each of us to live lifestyles of worship. To live a lifestyle of worship is to submit every aspect of our lives to God, to lay our lives down before Him each and every day. God, I lay my life down before You. I lay my life down before Your throne. I submit my will to Your will. I desire to do what you want me to do, not what I want to do. Worship is to, an ad, to have an attitude of continual praise, praising God for his greatness. We wake up in the morning. What do we acknowledge? Do we acknowledge, oh God, there's so many problems today. God, the problems are so big. Do we acknowledge the greatness of our problems or do we wake up in the morning, God, you're great. You sit upon the throne. All things are under your control and if I follow you today, things are going to be great. You're going to go with me. You're a great God. You are my creator. Worship is an attitude of continual praise, praising God for his greatness, his holiness, and for being our creator we don't have time to explore this today, but worship in heaven actually directs the events on earth. And as we worship individually and as the church, we release God's power into our world. As we worship and be, become more like Jesus, His power has freer reign in our lives and in our situations. And so whatever's happening in your life, as we're going to see, we can join in heavenly worship anytime, anywhere. So far, we've seen two members of the Trinity in heaven, have we not? We've seen God the Father seated upon the throne. We saw the Holy Spirit. And now we see that Jesus is there as well. Jesus reigns in heaven. Chapter 5, verse 6. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And so Jesus is seen by the Apostle John as the Lamb, the Lamb who was sacrificed on the cross for the sins of the world. He's also on the throne, standing in the center of the throne. He reigns as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Seven is the symbolic number of perfection. The horns represent great power. He is all power, represented by the seven horns. The eyes represent the sevenfold Holy Spirit. It tells us right in the text. It's the same Holy Spirit. They're not seven spirits. It's just a number of perfection. In Revelation 5, in verses we haven't had time to read, Jesus is receiving a scroll from the Father. That scroll is going to unleash God's judgment on the earth. 
God's judgments on the earth. So we see that Jesus is reigning over everything that happens on the earth. Nothing is outside his control. And as Jesus reigns in heaven, our prayers are part of heaven's worship. Verse 8, when he had taken it, that is the scroll, which we don't have time to talk about today, he said, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp. They were holding golden bowls of, full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And so as Jesus took this scroll, which had seven seals, which represent seven judgments that are going to be released upon the world, the living creatures and the elders fall down and worship before the Lamb. They fall down and worship before Jesus. And notice what they're holding. They're holding golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Who are the saints? Richard says he's a saint. <laughs> That's true. That's what the Bible teaches. Saints aren't people that somebody elects that have to have done a miracle, you know, all the things. And, you know, a certain church has their saints and you can hang one on your rearview mirror, right? And they'll protect you. Those are really little idols, really, is what they are. We don't worship saints. The Bible teaches us that everyone is a saint. Every believer is a saint. Where was I? I'm getting lost in my... I was getting carried away there. So the bowls are full of the prayers of the saints. If you and I are praying, our, your prayers are being collected in golden bowls in heaven. Golden bowls of incense. Now... To totally understand Revelation, you have to understand the, the temple and the tabernacle in the Old Testament and the incense that continually rose before God. It never stopped. The incense was always burning. And so our prayers ought to be always rising before the throne of God where they're collected and used in heavenly worship. The harps that the Living creatures and elders hold indicates there is what in heaven? There's music in heaven. So all the band, you can be happy. Yay. There's music in heaven. And Jesus is worshipped as Savior. So if there's a harp, what are they going to do? They're going to sing. Before the, they had just been speaking worship, now they're going to sing. Verse 9, they sang a new song. Say, you speaking to the Lamb, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. And so here these elders and the Living creatures are worshiping Jesus as the Savior of the world. And that was made possible by his death and resurrection for people to come to God from every part of the earth. Not just the Jews, but from every nation, every tribe, every language. God is going to have believers worshiping him for eternity in heaven. And these believers are made, it says, to be both kings reigning with God, and priests. 
ministering to God in worship as the priest ministered to God in the Old Testament as well. And then we see, we don't have time to read everything here. I'd encourage you to read Revelation 4 and 5. We haven't got every verse here this morning. We'll see the voices of 10,000 times 10,000 angels. I couldn't multiply that out, but it's just countless thousands of angels there singing praises to the Lamb. So you're going to need to take earplugs to heaven. Can you imagine how loud? 10,000 times 10,000 angels. You know, if you've ever been to a rock concert, you know, and the, the music thumps your... This is going to... Our bodies could not take this. That's why we have to have glorified bodies to exist in the presence of the praise and worship that's going on in heaven. And finally, we see every creature singing worship to the Lord God and the Lamb. Revelation 5.13, which actually I don't have up there, says, Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, and under the earth and on the sea, and all that is in them, singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Interesting verse. Every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea. That's everything. The Bible tells us in Philippians that one day every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And those who have embraced Jesus as Lord in this life, who have given their lives to him, will join in this heavenly worship with joy. And those who have rejected Jesus as Lord in this life will still acknowledge his lordship, but with sorrow and regret for eternity. That they had an opportunity that they did not take to submit their knee, submit their lives to Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And so Jesus reigns in heaven. And so many of the ideas that people have about heaven today are wrong. You know, you're not going to, we talked about float around heaven on a cloud. You're not going to have angel wings. You're not going to turn into an angel. There's all kinds of songs about that, especially country songs, right? Turning into an angel. It's not true. Uh, angels are completely different than people. You're not going to turn into an angel. The Bible reveals that heaven is going to be the most awesome experience ever. It's far more than we can imagine. On the positive side, and all the heartache, all the pain, all the suffering, all the death, all the sickness, all the sin, all the bad stuff we have to deal with on earth is not going to be there. That's a good thing. Worship permeates heaven. Every creature worships God with everything they have. Jesus rules and reigns from heaven. No matter what is going on on the earth, in fact, the worship of heaven coordinates with God's movements on the earth. And that's another reason that our prayers ascend into heaven because our prayers are collected in these bowls of incense. And worship in heaven then directs what happens on the earth. So let's think about heaven more than we do. That's where we as believers are, are heading. Let's join in the worship of heaven each and every day with our prayers and with our worship. In our individual lives and as we gather together to worship as a church.
body on Sunday mornings and life groups during the week. Let's worship in prayer, as I said, because our prayers are part of the worship of heaven. And whatever is going on in your life now or whatever may happen in the future, remember that God is ruling and reigning. He's seated upon his throne. Jesus is up there, Lord of lords and King of kings. And one day, if you persevere in your faith through the thick and the thin, you're going to join with him in that wonderful place called heaven. And the more we think about heaven, the more we realize we don't want anyone to miss heaven. Because as wonderful as heaven is, the other place, hell, is the exact opposite. As wonderful as heaven is, hell is the exact opposite. All the things that are missing from heaven are present in hell. Death, suffering, pain, sorrow, eternal burning, fire, torment. The absence of the presence of God forever and ever. And so the more you think about heaven, the more we'll work to see that everybody we can take with us to heaven as we possibly can. A place far beyond what we can think or imagine to spend eternity serving and worshiping Jesus, our Creator, and God. So this morning, if you're not sure that you're a believer, or perhaps you've drifted away from a belief you once had, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray a prayer because I don't want you to miss heaven. So let's bow our heads right now and we're going to pray a simple prayer. And prayer submitting your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Father, today, just pray along with me in your mind. Father, today I admit that I've sinned. I've done things that are wrong. Please forgive me. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that my sins might be forgiven. I believe that He's alive today before He rose from the dead. Come into my life. I submit my life to You, Jesus, as my Savior and my Lord. I want to follow You and Your Word all the days of my life and right on into an eternity with You in heaven. And for those of us who are believers today, let's pray that God would take this part of His Word and make it real to us. Father, we thank You for this revelation today that You've given us in Your Word of what heaven is like and what's going on up there. We thank You that You rule and reign. No matter what is going on in this earth, You rule and reign in heaven, no matter the difficulties that we see with our eyes. And this morning we pray, God, as You've instructed us to pray that Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May each of us be used by you to bring some of heaven to this earth and to the lives of people around us. Help us to grow as worshipers, worshipers in spirit and in truth, who worship with our whole hearts. Forgive us when we've either not worshipped you or worshipped things other than you and made them priorities in our life rather than you, God. May our prayers ascend as incense before your throne. 
as they join in that heavenly worship. And may we as a church become more complete worshipers of you, both individually and as we come together. Help us with this vision of heaven to be used by you as your witnesses to bring more people to know Jesus so they can join with us one day in heaven as well. And on this earth that they might be worshiping disciples of Jesus Christ. In his name, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.